difficulties and dangers and hard labor in order to obtain a few ounces of gold. And we live in a world where people are busy, busy, busy pursuing this, pursuing that. A little fun, a little pleasure, a little security, a little something to make them feel that they have significance and purpose in their lives. But what do they get for all their efforts? Well, they get the same thing that Solomon got. And let me read what Solomon got in Ecclesiastes 2.11. He says, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and on the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed, all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There's no profit, he says, under the sun. Isn't that Solomon, when he assessed all his great works, his great kingdom, this is what he said. And uh, <clears throat> truth is, this is the story of everyone who does not seek God. This drove him to the next verse. The next verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 12 says, Then I turned myself to consider wisdom and madness and folly. Well, there's not much wisdom in our society, but there's plenty of madness and folly around us in our society. Uh, Isaiah addressed this earlier in the same chapter, uh, the same chapter that we're in, uh, uh, in, in verse 2. He says, why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Think about a lack of wisdom. Talk about follies. Uh, spending your money for that which is not food. God has a better idea for us. His idea is this. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. What a blessed invitation this is. The wise man spoke to God in Psalm 27, and he said this, When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, Lord, I will seek. Here's a work for you if, if you don't know the Lord. If you're not in Christ now, you're not a, a Christian right now, here's an invitation to come to him. He wants you to seek him. He'll not hold you back. Uh, there are many things that will hold us back, but he's not one of them. Uh, your sinful appetites will hold you back because you know that he's holy and he demands obedience to his commands. The devil will hold you back because he doesn't want to lose one of his devoted followers. He needs all the help he can in his war with God. The world will hold you back. It'll show you many empty and hollow trinkets that dazzle your eyes. It'll tell you that this is what you should really be seeking after. And so many run after these things and they look like a child chasing the bubbles that is just blown. And if he catches one, it pops right in his hand the minute he touches it. Oh, but seek God. Seek God. Now here's something worth seeking your effort will be fully rewarded with more than you can carry. Your blessings in him will be greater than you can possibly imagine. Seek the Lord. But here's also a work, not just for the lost, but for the Christian. Seek the Lord. This is a good work for all of us, all of the days of our lives, to be continually seeking our God. Seek a closer walk with God. Seek a fuller filling of the Holy Spirit. Seek out his will in every facet of your life. Seek more knowledge of his ways. J. 
James 4, verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now, this is a promise from God. And he never goes back on his promises. And I find this very encouraging. He tells me to draw near and I will not draw near to him in vain. You will not seek him, seek him sincerely and seek him in vain. Seek the Lord, then it says, while he may be found. We'll consider this. That he's saying that he may be found. I think that's pretty significant. He may be found. We can't see him. Children, you know you can't see God, right? But he says you can. Be, he can be found. Seek him because he can be found. And uh, <clears throat> he doesn't uh, say here to seek him in vain, but seek him while he may be found. I remember playing hide and seek with my children when they were very small. And uh, uh, I wanted them to put some effort into the game. And so I didn't make it extremely easy to be found, but I wanted them to find me. And so I made sure that they could find me. And sometimes I had to, <clears throat> like this, or some little noise or something to, to give them a hint so they could find me. And so the younger the child, the, the more you had to be uh, a little less hidden. And the older the child, the more you could go ahead and be a little more creative and hide a little bit uh, in a more difficult place. And, and uh, But I suited my hiding places to the children. But in, in no case would I ever end the game where they couldn't find me. No, after a little while, they get a little distressed. <laughs> and I wouldn't want them to be distressed. So isn't that the way God is? God is that way with us. He's not playing a game, not hide and seek. But he says, seek me while I may be found. He wants us to find him. Uh, <clears throat> And he won't make it too difficult for you to do so. He won't make it so hard to find him that you can't find him. He won't do that. God won't be more cruel. Uh, I mean, God won't be cruel. He won't be, uh, he's going to be more loving and more, more gracious to you than I would to my children. God will be better than I was, was. And so we can be encouraged by that. He won't make it too difficult for you to find him. Take courage. Don't be discouraged. Seek him while he may be found. But here's another thought also from this passage. It says, while he may be found. There is a time to seek God. There's a time also when it's too late. But here's good news and bad news. The bad news is that if you refuse his invitation and you die in your sins, it'll be too late to come. He will refuse to be found. A passage I would refer to as Proverbs chapter 1. Let me read verses 24 through 32. He says, we find these frightening words there. He says, but since you rejected me when I called and no one gave heed when I stretched out my hand, since you ignored all my advice and would not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh at your disaster. I will mock when your calamity overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you, then you will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me. Since they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. 
for the waywardness of the simple will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. This is, <laughs> this is scary stuff, isn't it? And we have the New Testament example of this in Luke chapter 16. We won't turn there, but you know the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Remember the rich man? He didn't know the Lord, but he was very rich and he had everything in this world. And, uh, and he died. And the Bible says he opened up his eyes in hell. And I believe that these, this here is speaking of a soul that's lifted up his eyes in hell. And now it's too late. And they can call upon God all they want, but God will not hear them. God will not be found by them. And, uh, and that was the case with the rich man. Remember, he said to Abraham, he said, please uh, send Lazarus back to my brothers because I have five brothers and sent him back to, to warn them about this place. And remember Abraham's uh, word to him. He said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. He said, no, Father Abraham. He knew very well they weren't going to listen to the Holy Scriptures. <clears throat> he said, but if somebody comes back from the dead, they'll listen to them. And uh, remember Abraham's reply. He said, if they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. We know that one has risen from the dead, don't we? And so right now, uh, if the same conversation is happening in hell, Abraham's telling them they have Moses and the prophets and Christ and the apostles. Let them hear them. And the rich men say, no, Father Abraham, but send some miraculous sign from heaven and they'll believe that. And they'll say, no, if they won't listen to these, Neither will they be persuaded, though God work the most mighty miracle that they can imagine in their presence. And so Matthew Henry says this. He says, there's a day coming when he will be afar off and will not be found. When the day of his patience is over and his spirit will strive no more. There may come such a time in this life when the heart is incurably hardened. It is certain that at death and judgment the door will be shut. I remember talking to a teenager one time who believed all the doctrines. I asked him if he believed that Jesus came literally and that he died on the cross and rose from the dead. All the cardinal doctrines of the Christian faith, I asked this teenage boy. And he said that he believed all those things. But I knew very well he was not a Christian. And I asked him, then why won't you surrender to Christ? And his answer was shocking. He said, well, I figure I'm young and I have some time. I told him this. I said, if, if you don't surrender to Christ, there could come a time in your life when sin will harden you to the effect that you'll believe none of those things that we just talked about. And he didn't believe me. But today I believe that's possibly where he is. Still not in Christ. And maybe, maybe he has hardened himself to that point. I don't know. All I know is seek the Lord while he may be found. If you feel the Holy Spirit pulling you, if you feel a desire, if you feel, uh, if you feel the need in your soul and you see how important it is, and, 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 and you, and you, uh, whether, it's, whether it's the judgments of God that are terrifying you or the beauty of Christ that's attracting you, and really it's both for a person to come to Christ, isn't it, to one degree or another. Some people come to Christ more out of fear than they do out of desire for Christ. Some come more out of desire for the good things of Christ than, than they have fear. But, uh, but it's those kind of things that draw us to Christ. But are, are, you, are you considering those things 
in your life, then, 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 then seek the Lord while he may be found. And don't assume that he can always be found. So this clause, while he may be found, is, uh, again, a warning and a promise. It should be comforting, and at the same time, it should be sobering for us. There may come such a time in this life, as Matthew Henry says. Don't be hesitant to come. He does invite you, so come freely. Seek him with hope, but also you are commanded to come. So don't take the invitation lightly. Seek him reverently, diligently, purposefully, and with a priority that it ought to have in your lives. And it ought to have more priority in your life than anything else. Second Corinthians 6 2 says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And then we have the clause, call upon him while he is near. Now this speaks to the nearness of God. Aren't you glad that God is near and not far away? In, in some sense, we can think about God as being far away, enthroned in heaven, someplace where we can't even imagine, can't even see it with a Hubble te- Space Telescope. But the Bible assures us that he is near. He hears your faintest whisper. Um, and uh, remember how Hannah prayed and the high priest mis- Eli misunderstood her because he thought she was drunk, but she was... Uh, uh, she, had a, she had a broken heart and she was praying with, with a broken heart and her, um, uh, her prayers were heard by God, though all she, no sound was heard from her mouth, but he only saw her lips moving. That's why he thought she was drunk. And uh, isn't that wonderful how God, uh, God is near. God is near. He can hear you when you whisper, even if you don't even whisper. Even if there is no audible sound, he can hear your prayers. And that should encourage us as we pray tonight, shouldn't it? It should encourage the ladies as they pray along with the men because God hears your prayer right along with the men. Your prayers are just as valuable as ours. And and we should be encouraged. Verse 7 then says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now, I just point out here that repentance goes along with believing. It's like what I said, uh, this example I just gave of this young man that I referred to, how he believed these things in his mind. Uh, He had an intellectual knowledge but he refused to repent. He would not commit his life to Christ. Repentance is an essential part of salvation. Um, uh, do not be deceived. An intellectual knowledge will not save you. A true faith includes intellectual knowledge, but it is a faith that goes much deeper and that moves us to repentance and good works. And what is the promise of those that do seek him with true repentance? Well, here's the promise. It says, he will have mercy on him and he will abundantly pardon. Remember R.C. Sproul, those of you who were in Sunday school this morning, said this morning, he said, with mercy, uh, with God, mercy is, uh, is, is optional. We can't hold God to say, God, you're being unrighteous if you're not merciful. Now, God can say that to us. If you're not merciful, God will hold you to that because you're commanded to be merciful because God has shown you mercy. But with God, God is not obligated to show us mercy because we've offended his holy law. He is obligated 
to give justice to us. He's not obligated to give mercy. But here he freely promises he who comes. Let, what does he say? He says, he says uh, uh, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. How wicked has your way been? How wicked has your, have your thoughts been? God says, come to me. Return to me. I will have mercy on you. He doesn't say, I'll think about it. I'll ponder whether I want to have mercy on you. No. He gives this wonderful promise. I will have mercy upon you. And then, I love these words, I will abundantly pardon. Abundantly pardon. Now, he'll not just pardon us. He'll not just forgive us. He will abundantly pardon. Remember the woman that uh, Pastor Doppler talked about this morning that uh, uh, that uh, Jesus said, though her sins were many, he says they will be forgiven her. And he acknowledged that her sins were many, but he forgives her. And this makes God's pardoning such an abundant, wonderful thing. Uh, he, 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 sins, he forgives real sinners. He pardons abundantly. I think you should chalk that up in your mind whenever you think about God's grace. It is abundant grace. And it's hard for us to understand this. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around how abundant God's pardoning is. You know why? Because it is so rarely seen among men. Even among the godliest of men and the godliest of women, an abundant pardoning like what God pardons is a very rare thing. You don't see it among men. You don't see this kind of pardoning among men. Uh, people forgive very reluctantly in many cases. Uh, sometimes they forgive out of duty. Uh, we know that we must forgive because God uh, will not forgive us if we don't forgive others. But uh, uh, many people forgive with such reservation. Well, this is the context, I believe, and the reason for the next two verses. Because it is so hard to understand the abundance of God's grace. It is very hard to wrap our minds around this. Uh, how can God be that abundant to lost sinners? So he goes on to say, for our benefit, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, we use that verse, and it applies in many, many different ways. Of course, uh, his thoughts are always above our thoughts. If I've got a, a solution for a problem, God's got a better one. If I've got uh, an idea, God's got a better idea. His thoughts are, are always better than our thoughts in every area of life. But here he is specifically referring to this matter of the pouring out of his grace of the forgiving of sinners. My thoughts are not your thoughts, God says. I'm not going to forgive like you guys forgive. I'm not going to forgive like, like you know uh, the very best of you can forgive. No, I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, my thoughts are so much higher than yours in this matter that it's as high as the heaven is above the earth. I think that's a wonderful thing. That's how abundant God's grace is. And so we should take courage from that. Um, he says, I forgive abundantly. Uh, and he says, you may forgive reluctantly. Uh, 
but I gladly and freely forgive. So we have abundant reason to seek the Lord, don't we? We have abundant reason to rejoice greatly in the salvation, to rejoice in the grace of God and the goodness of God and the mercy of God. Abundant, abundant reason. We have abundant reason to continue to call upon God as the people of God in prayer, for he's near and he's invited us to come to him. So tonight as we pray, let's pray with this hope, remembering the abundant grace of God. Not just the grace of God, abundant grace. Let's pray. Our Father.